everybody. Welcome to this month's tax podcast. Uh, my name's Norman, member of the Mercia Tax Technical Team. And my goodness, it's been a busy month. I thought I would just remind us about what happened on the 20th of July. 20th July, what happened? Well, busy day. Legislation day. Draft legislation. I'm sure you've seen it. Just do a Google search. But quite simply, the government published draft legislation for Finance Bill 23. So I thought what I would do is just to run through a couple of the bits that I found particularly interesting. First of all, I thought I'd just pick up on this Homes for Ukraine, i.e. the sponsorship scheme. I mean, if we go back to March, March 22, what happened? The government told us, well, they made an announcement, really, about the actual Homes for Ukraine and sponsorship scheme. This is a humanitarian visa scheme, which, of course, allowed individuals, charities, businesses, group, community groups, etc., um, really to be able to, um, in the UK, to sponsor Ukrainians who arrived in the UK. And in terms of monetary um, limits, what they basically said, the government were, would say that sponsors would be receiving a monthly sum, £350, capped, though, ultimately to 12 months. Bit of a thank you, really, a thank you for housing an individual um, or the family. So what do we have published? Well, effectively, draft legislation saying, look, there's going to be temporary income tax and also CT exemptions for these thank you payments. Um, on top of that, they've, they've announced some temporary reliefs from ATED and SCLT. That's going to be, they're going to be introduced as well. So I thought that was an interesting one. And I thought I'd pick up, pick up all that. Certainly start off with a quick mention of that. What else did I find um, a little bit interesting? Well, I mean, this goes back a while. We'd had a consultation on this, which closed, seems an awful long time, time ago, but really about pensions and relief, um, all to do with the um, uh, net pay um, arrangements. I mean, broadly, just to recap, there's actually two methods, really, two main methods of actually giving the appropriate uh, relief. First is the net pay arrangements. What you have here at the end of the day is your pension contributions being taken out of someone's gross pay, therefore actually reducing their taxable pay. Contrasting that with the other scheme, the relief at source method, the RAS method here, where what you've got here is really the tax relief is given by paying an amount net of the basic rate. And then, of course, the pension fund, what do they do? They're really claiming that basic rate tax from HMRC and effectively adding it to the contributions. Now, the two, the key points here, although the two methods really provide the same outcomes, really for most, those on low income, low earners, particularly those below the personal allowance, well, they can have different levels of actual take-home pay. It all depends how the pension scheme um, is actual, actually administered. What it boils down to, really, is those in using the RAS scheme, they're actually getting a 20% top-up, really, on their pension saving, even if they don't pay any tax at all. Whilst those in schemes really using the net pay arrangements, well, they might, they'll be getting tax relief at their marginal rate, i.e. 0%. So what does it boil down to? Well, quite simply, it means low earners in schemes using the net pay, well, really, they have less take-home pay than they actually would have 
if they were saving into a scheme that uses the RAS method, the relief at source method. So what's this all about? Well, quite simply, where we're going to is this is going to allow the revenue to be able to pay a topper to low earners who make contributions to these schemes using a net pay arrangement in the tax year 24-25 onwards. And what it means is the revenue is saying in the following year, what they're going to be doing is notifying those who are eligible, asking them, look, provide your necessary details and you get your top up going straight into your bank account. So that's where we're going, is pensions relief relating to net pay arrangements. What else did I find out of interest in this legislation day? Well, chargeable gains, separated spouse civil partnerships. I mean, this follows on. Some of you will remember, I'm sure, this was a recommendation by the good old Office of Tax Simplification. Let's remind ourselves what all of this is, is, is about. Well, as you all be, be aware, the existing rules that apply to transfer of assets between an individual and their spouse or civil partner, in effect, provides that transfers have got to be made in any tax year where they are living together and it's on a no-gain, no-loss basis, as, as, as we know. But where they separate, the spouses or civil partners separate, no-gain, no-loss treatment is only available, currently only available, in relation to disposables made in the remainder of the tax year in which they actually cease to live, live together. After that date, transfers, quite simply, are treated as normal disposals for CGT purposes. So what are the changes going to be introduced? Well, quite simply, a whole series of changes coming through, dealing with transfer of assets between spouses and partners who are in the process of separating and no longer living together. And in effect, what we're going to have is an have an extension of this period of no gain, no loss in specific circumstances. We're talking about here changes applying in relation to disposals made on or after the 6th of April 23. And what we're generally looking at here is, is up to three years following the end of the tax year in which they cease living together. Also on top of that, and the rules are going to enable um, a spouse or a civil partner, um, really, who retains an interest in their former marital home to actually be given an option of claiming PPR, i.e. when that property is eventually sold, and also there will be a provision for a spouse or civil partner who actually receives the percentage of the proceeds when that home is eventually sold, really to apply the same tax treatment that had been applied when the, the asset was the transfer of the original interest in that house fundamentally to their ex. So some interesting changes there, as I say, really built on recommendations, as I say, from the good old Office of Tax Simplification. The final one I thought I'd mention is R&D. Very much, as I'm sure you are aware, this has very much been um, under, under the microscope. I mean, if I go back to the autumn budget last year in, in the Red Book, they were telling us that UK companies had claimed tax relief. This was back in, um, yeah, back in 2019. UK companies have claimed R&D tax relief on £47.5 billion worth of expenditure. But rather interestingly, 
only just under 26 billion is where the activity actually took place in the UK. Where was the rest of it then? Where was the gap? Well, they went on to tell us, the Office of National Statistics, they quoted that it was partly slavery, really, but a lot of the activities actually taking place overseas. And we're pretty generous, they went on to say. A lot of other countries don't allow that, including the USA and Australia. So we had a we had a report prepared back in November last year. The government proposing a whole series of changes coming through in 23 in relation to R&D. And fundamentally, we've got draft legislation that really is giving us a clue to where we're going. I'll just mention a couple of the key points here. What they're going to do is expand the definition of qualifying R&D um, expenditure because what they're saying is really, look, to support moving forward, modern research methods, we're going to include data, cloud costs acceptably. On top of that, to more effectively focus or capture the benefits of R&D, funded by these reliefs, they're going to be looking at support towards innovation in the UK. There will be some exceptions on all that where it's necessary to do the stuff overseas, but generally focusing on innovation in the UK. And as we all know, over the years, the R&D seems have been abused. Too many fraudulent claims. There's so many R&D bespoke consultancies out there now, all claiming to have lots of experience, lots of expertise in dealing with R&D claims, getting money back from HMRC. It's cost the government um, an awful lot of money. So we're going to see a lot more targeting abuse and improving proving compliance effectively on that. It's going to be digital claims, etc. You have to apply in advance, and the revenue are going to be wanting to know if you've had an agent or indeed any other advice, you're going to have to name the agent, etc. And the claims all got to be signed off uh, by uh, a fundamentally a senior officer uh, within, within the company. So some interesting developments there, most specifically on R&D. As I say, if you want any more info on that, just do a quick Google search or have a look on gov.uk for legislation day. So say that kept us busy um, in July, having a look at, look at all of those. Looking now, we're currently working on our autumn um, courses where we're going to be doing things that's the autumn tax update and business tax problem areas. So we'll either see you on Zoom or hopefully as well at some of the face-to-face -face venues. That's it from me. Hope that was of interest. Thanks very much.